Good afternoon and welcome to the station. I am Whitney Hickerson and with the Arkansas Business Engine and I'm here with my cohort Felicia Hood who our finance director and joining us today is Katrina Lindsay. She is kind of all over the place. She is a mother, a grandmother, a believer in God and she is a realtor with Remax and she also hosts as kind of in conjunction with that, some re- free credit repair classes to help people get on the path to home ownership. And she is also an owner of a daycare center. So you've got a lot of irons in the fire there. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I appreciate you joining us today. Tell me a little bit about yourself, something that we didn't kind of cover in the bio that um, that's just kind of an important part of who you are that you think people would like to know about. Well, thanks for having me first. Um, and if I if I need to share something that I think is important, um, I guess I would say that uh, you talked about being a grandmother. Mm-hmm. But my goal, really, um, for my life now, with what the years I have left over, is to leave an inheritance for my grandchildren. That is probably um, what I focus on the most now. Yeah, is breaking um, generational curses of poverty and. Um, Helping them to understand the importance of um, being good stewards over yeah. any opportunities that we get. So. I totally, I totally get that. And it's kind of interesting you say that because one of like our missions for our business at the business engine is to help people build their businesses into legacies mm-hmm. because we want our business owners that we work with to be able to hand that business down to their children and have something to say, like my family built this. Absolutely. So I really, that really resonates with me. Well, and it's, it's kind of where I am now, even with them, we closed the center down for COVID um, just because nobody knew what that was going to look yeah. like. And since March, I've been wrestling with the idea of do we reopen, do we reopen? And I just, I cannot allow myself to give that aspect of what we've already built away Mm -hmm. because the goal is eventually to hand that over to one of my grandchildren, an an established business. So that has been what has helped me to make the decision that we're going to reopen at some point when we feel safe um, because I don't want to work backwards. That's something we had already established. My granddaughter right now can open that daycare. She knows every step of what needs to be done from the time the doors open till the time that we close. And so we're hoping that, you know, one day that one of them will want that business. Yeah, that's great. That's a difficult decision to make, too, because it is wrestling, you know, a lot of health and safety issues with a lot of unknowns still with balancing wanting to, you know, keep that business going that you put so much time and effort and love into. It is. It's very challenging. What made it even more complicated is when the the federal um, agencies as well as the state made decisions um, as to who could close or who should stay open. They mandated closings for um, public education, even Head Start programs, and they mandated closings for churches and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But they told daycares to make a business decision. So yeah, yeah. So a lot of daycares remained open, which yeah. and uh, I think. There has not been a lot of issues with the ones that have remained open, but I had to make a decision as to whether or not it was more important to keep the revenue coming in or take the risk. And it was yeah. so much unknown then that I thought we can't take the risk. So. Absolutely. And it's a, I mean, for we're all parents of little kids here. Um, and so we've all, you know, we've come in and we talk about it almost every day about like, what do we do when, you know, what's going on? Because we've got, you know, within, the business here, we've got everything from, you know, babies and toddlers up to high school kids. So we kind of run the gamut, um, trying to figure out what 
what the best thing to do is with our kid. And we're all working professionals. And so it's really hard to run a business when you've got little ones running underfoot and you want to a lot, you know, a lot of times parents have their kids in daycare either because they need to be at a job or even if they work from home, they need to be able to focus. And then the parents are running that same kind of decision-making process. Do I put my kid in daycare? Do I, you know, do I take, you know, is that a risk? Do I take that risk? Do I keep them home? If they're home, what, what do I do then? You know, how do I accomplish things? So it's, it's a lot to, to think about. And the interesting part is for me, if we would just admit it as humans, none of us know what we're doing with this. We don't know, you know, because we've never been here before. Yeah. And I think that's the challenging part is that we have so many people telling us what we should do. And the reality of it is they don't know either. Yeah. None of us know, you know, what this is going to look like next year or really we just don't know that. We don't know, you know. So that's what makes making decisions yeah. tougher. You've talked about, you know, the daycare as in kind of um, the sense of breaking the generational curses that you've had in your family. But you are also, you do work to help other families and individuals break their kind of generational curses. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Um, It didn't start with real estate. It started, I used to work for a nonprofit too some time Mm -hmm. ago. And we, um, the the, uh, overall... Um, purpose of the nonprofit was to promote healthy choices to kids from elementary through high school. And um, we started a girls' club with seventh grade girls, and the next year they wanted to keep their club, so we moved up to eighth grade. Then we moved up to ninth grade because these girls didn't want to, they loved their club. Mm-hmm. And so every year, where well, we just started and thought we were going to be seventh grade alone, the club grew. So by the time we got to 10th and 11th grade, we had girls now who were saying, um, they were starting to have college talks. And I had no experience, no background. Nobody in my family, my immediate family, had ever even discussed college because we were always told your family had to have money to go to college. Yeah. So there was no real education on, hey, did you know there's grants? Hey, did you know there's financial uh, aid out here that could help you go to school? We never heard those conversations growing up. So in my mind, college was just out of the question. Well, through working with these girls at this club, um, we, t- we did a tour at UCA and I got connected and started listening, ear hustling on conversations mm-hmm. and found out that there was money out here for these girls. So for the first time, I realized that I could share information with a group of girls that was going to help them do something that they probably thought they were mm-hmm. never going to be able to do. So it started with that. And then um, that's when my eyes kind of got open to looking for resources that I didn't know existed to be able to share with other families. Mm-hmm. And as a result, my youngest son was able to get an academic distinguished scholarship. And, you know, he was able to have that opportunity, um, which was something nobody had, that we had ever, you know, we hadn't been exposed to it. Yeah. So that skill set just kind of translated over into when I got ready to do real estate. Um <clears throat> I would continually have families say things like, well, we can't buy a house because we don't have money. And we can't buy a house because my credit score is, you know, so-and-so. And and I, that same mindset started to just kind of um, just loom. Mm-hmm. And I just started asking questions like, well, how are all these other people buying houses? And, you know, and so it kind of stemmed from that. Yeah. And, uh, the when I bought my first house, I actually fixed my credit myself to do it because I didn't have money. 
I just knew I was tired of being led. And so after the pieces started coming together, I thought, why don't I just tell them to do some of the things that I did that helped me? And then, um, you know, their families can accomplish some of the American dream by just yeah. home ownership. And we began to have discussions with people who nobody in their family had. They were generational renters. No one in their family ever owned anything. And then it became, that that was a wow factor for us. Yeah. And uh, we started looking at ways and we opened up the house. We started at my house where on Sundays we'd just sit down and the basics of what I knew, I'm not, I'm not a credit repair expert, but mm-hmm. the basics of what I knew about breaking down that, that pie chart of how your credit score exists, I started sharing that information and you could see the lights come on because some of us just didn't even know how did they come up with the credit score. Yeah. And then what are the most impactful things on your score? Like 65% of your score are just two areas. So if we work on those two areas, you can see huge difference. Mm-hmm. So we just started there. And um, from there, we've talked about budgeting. It turned into budgeting because what we don't want to do is just because you can afford a house doesn't mean you buy that much house because what we don't want to do is set families up for 12 to 24 months out. Now you're in foreclosure mm-hmm. and, you know, now you just feel defeated, you know? And so we started on some budgeting things and, you know, so it kind of, that's kind of how it took off. Yeah. How many people would you say that since you've kind of started these classes that have gone through the classes that have bought? Homes? Now that's been an interesting thing. It's a pipeline. Like I've, we started this a year ago and it is a process. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've probably had about, 40 people that are that have started in in the class and the majority of them are still in the pipeline because you know when you're doing credit repair it takes a long time so that's the part where why a lot of you know maybe some agents or other people don't want to invest in that because you're doing a lot of work that's not going to produce any results for a really long time um, but what it has opened the door to for us is other families that have gotten involved mm-hmm. or have maybe witnessed what happened for one person has had the courage to step up and say, hey, well, can we just look at my credit? And some of them are in way better shape than they initially thought they were. Yeah. I would say um, in the last six months, I would say 90% of my closings are as a result of us advertising that we um, provide free credit mm-hmm. review and about maybe 40 percent of those are people that actually sat down did the work and got the results yeah and other people were ready and just didn't know they were ready so they do you yes do you find that people maybe just don't know like are maybe intimidated by the credit report so they don't they just absolutely. like they just kind of put it back here and they're not looking at absolutely. it absolutely and they're absolutely. actually an off sounds like oftentimes they may be okay yeah but Some they just don't, they don't even know it. where to go get it. Yeah. Where to get the report. And what's the difference between the report and the scores? You know, a lot of people say, well, I can say, okay, print your report. And they say, well, I know my score. Yeah, but we need the report. So it's just been, you know, it's been a lot of educating. Yeah. Um, and I don't say that from an aspect of an expert. It's just sharing the information that, you know, we were able to obtain mm-hmm. through our own lack of knowledge. You know, and so, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is intimidating. And if they're not the right safe places or places where you can feel safe to Mm -hmm. go to get your questions answered, then you don't ask them. Yeah. You you sit on on your questions. So I think that for more than anything, those classes have created an environment where safe 
discussions happen and we get information to people that can go, I did not know that. Now I know that if I miss, if I make one 30-day late pay, my score can drop up to 100 points. Now I know that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So now I'll pay closer attention. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen success stories on that um, page because I'm a part of that. You're actually in the process of helping me do that because that was one thing that, um, especially since this is geared towards business owners, um, that when you become a business owner, that you have two years usually before lenders will actually allow you to be able to own a home through them or take out a loan through their um, institution. And so that was something that I didn't know. So when I started this, I was like, oh, I'm going to go buy myself a house now. And then everyone said, no, you're not. And <laughs> I was like, well, why not? And they said, well, you have to show income for two years. Like, we can't just give you one because you don't have a, a paycheck coming in consistently every single month. And we need to see that you can, can do that. And the saving grace that's been for me is that that has given me plenty of time. I've got 15 months left to prepare for that. Mm -hmm. And so raising my credit score, getting that to where I need it to be to have good interest rates and to be at the best position so when I walk in there I have everything that they need for me and I have good numbers and you know I already kind of know what I what I can afford so I'm not house poor like I don't want to have a mortgage yep. that makes me aware I'm literally just living Absolutely. to pay my mortgage um, and so I've actually learned a lot from your class mm -hmm. myself so what's cool though Felicia you're overachieving Felicia does everything you tell her to do like she is like I do I told her the other day and I was like listen <laughs> I've got this and I need to know how I should send this letter and I've been researching it and what's the best aspects of it to put in there and then I found out that maybe that letter actually isn't one to send that was something that I was going to talk to you about it's like that that letter that I was going to send off may actually not provide the result that I want but I found another avenue that I think would provide mm -hmm. that and so I've just got in there and I've started researching things, but I will. I'm like, listen, you told me to do this and right. I've done this and I've raised this score up to here and what do I need to do now and who do I need to follow up with? And so she's been and, fantastic. And to kind of go back to your question too, even when you share information with people, sometimes even the sharing of knowledge can be intimidating mm -hmm. because if you say, go pull your credit report and then, you know, where do I get my credit report from? And they don't feel, have the confidence to ask that question. When they walk away, they still won't do anything. Yeah. And so we've started even uh, some of, we did a, uh, a couple, when COVID hit, we stopped meeting face-to-face. -face, mm -hmm. And I did a couple of lives on our Facebook page, on the private Facebook page. And in the lives, you can go back and it kind of gives you the step-by-step. -step. So it's where we tell everybody to start. Like, if you're really serious, go watch the two lives mm -hmm. and let me know if any questions go out. And in the lives, they can pause it and they can write down the website addresses. Mm -hmm. They can write that right down where we tell them to go to get your credit report. And we break down what the five areas of your credit report is. And, you know, you can kind of take notes. And it yeah. to, it's a little bit more distracting when you're... Um, when you're in a live environment because, you know, you have to stop to answer questions and things of that nature. So um, I'm even becoming even more aware of um, how, depending on what your experience is in life, even if people give you the answers, you sometimes, sometimes people just still feel defeated. Yeah. And they don't know how to. Or maybe they know that their situation is going to be bad and they know that that report is not going to be. Like when I started I realized this too. I learned that from you. Like your credit karma score is not what your score is that your lender is going to look at. Yeah. And so I was like, well, yes, it is. You know, it's almost a 700 and I'm like, I can definitely get a house. And while my score was high enough to be able to get a loan, like when I actually pulled my report um, and then found out that self-employed individuals have to wait two years and they said, well, you don't, you qualify, but you don't qualify because mm -hmm. we have to have two years worth of tax returns or bank account statements showing consistent income. Mm -hmm. And so, but I would have never known that my credit karma 
right? Because like that's when I log in, do a little password. I'm like, ooh, my credit score went up a little bit, and I'm paying down this debt, and I've got projected, you know, simulated scores, and then they're like, that's not what we look at. That's not even what we what we look at when we're pulling those scores. That's, and I would have known that, that your FICO score, and there's like 50 different FICO scores, <laughs> 25 of them, and I was like, which one do they use? That's almost the first question that we ask people is like, do you know your score? And then the next question is, where did you get that yes. score? Yeah. Because and TransUnion and Experian on Credit Karma, it's not. I mean, well, it could be all Trans- 50, 60 points usually yeah. sometimes. Like you can think that you have a 700 score and you could really have like a 750 or you could even have like a 540 and 560 and you're nowhere near being able to actually Absolutely. afford it to be able to mm-hmm. be, you know, lended money from from a bank. Absolutely. And that, that's part of the challenge too is um, – it was a long time that, you know, I didn't even know the, the name of the three bureaus. You know, you don't come here. At what point in life do you learn this information is always the question. Now, if you have family that is educated in this very early on, and then hopefully they pass the knowledge down, then you come up understanding that. But at what, where in life are we educated on the three credit bureaus? And where in life are we educated on the difference between the FICO score versus the Vantage scoring model? Yeah. Who teaches us that? What and why is it not in school? Like mm. at some point, we that, need to get her connected with Bernice so she can provide oh some goodness, resources yes. for her site. That would have been great for you to meet Bernice King. Have you ever met her before? That her name sounds familiar. She's a notary here in town. I don't know if you're on like the well, I'm a notary too, so page. <laughs> you may have read. She runs Arkansas Twenty Four Seven Notary. She's okay. a mobile notary, but she's getting ready to launch a site called A Place for Resources. So our listeners. We just recorded her, so our listeners will remember her. But um, it's kind of like a catch-all for the things that, for young adults especially, but not necessarily exclusive to young adults, but those things that you wish you had known or wish you had learned in school. And she's going to bring on other experts. I'm going to connect you two because I think that your information will be extremely valuable to um, some of the things that she's trying to do right now. Sounds good. Absolutely. Yeah, but because where where are we learning that? You know? Yeah, and we're not. There's so many communities that are so economically and socially deprived that credit scores never even come up. They, we didn't talk. Nobody ever told me about a credit score growing up in my, you know, in my family or in my neighborhood. We didn't talk about credit scores. Yeah, and so the earlier you understand that information, um, like my goal with my my youngest grandson, my oldest grandson who's fifteen, I, my desire is when he turns sixteen, I want to put him on an authorized user mm-hmm. and let him have two years of good credit. So by the time he turns eighteen, he's we're already having established something established for him, yeah. so he's not starting from scratch. And then, you know, explaining the importance of not being abusive with your credit and how just one thirty day late pay when we're being passive. Oh, huge. What, how, mm-hmm. yeah, how big that can affect, how much that can affect your, impact your score negatively. Um, just the importance of not going over 29% utilization on your um, available credit. How after you get over 29%, your score starts to drop. Just things that we need to know so that if, if we do have to, some of us do have to use our credit mm-hmm. cards, you know, maybe you only put 20% over here and 10% on this card. And then that way your score is not plummeting. You know, just little things that, like you said, yeah. I wish somebody would have told me earlier. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, I, mean, I think that you make a big point that in some, um, it, it kind of depends on how we're raised because there are like some kind of, you know, 
communities where like that's kind of their thing they talk about that mm-hmm. and it's and then there's a lot where it's <clears throat> and a lot and some of it's and it's not just credit but it's like money in general yes like, a lot of people money. grew up and like money just that was just kind of their family or their kind of little community that that's just kind of the buy like it was mm-hmm. just hush hush about money we don't talk about money don't you, you dare know. ask them how much they spent on that shirt that they right. bought that's not any of your business yeah. you know don't you dare ask them how much that cost them and then some families that they're just so poor that there's no money to talk about yeah there's that <laughs> and that's part of it you know exactly exactly what what is there to talk about we don't have any yeah you know, I think there's a lot of things that fall in with that. You know, it's everything from home ownership to education to mm-hmm. being a business owner. There's all these things that so many of us grow up just not even thinking about it. Yeah. And I didn't realize just because of my parents are very, you know, have this kind of have had this entrepreneurial mindset my whole life. And I was raised like you're going to go to college no matter what. And I didn't, it wasn't until I was much older that I realized that, oh, like, this is not necessarily the norm. This is, you know, kind of a privilege that I had to have these doors that were mm-hmm. just kind of, like, shown to me. Like, we didn't have a lot of money, so there's a lot of, like, money issues that I still grew up with. Yeah. But it was still this, you know, mindset of these doors are all open. Right. You, you just have to walk through them. Yeah. And it, it took me a long time to realize that not everyone knew that not everyone had that mindset growing up we were invited recently over the uca to do ago myself and do you know michelle ford i don't okay well she does this um presentation on um it's it's titled like the poverty walk Mm -hmm. and uh she and i went and sat down as polar opposites as to what happens in a family when you're giving resources and information versus when the resources and information are completely depleted just because they don't exist, they're not existing. Mm-hmm. And a part of the presentation that we do is that we're in a room for the UCA students and we ask a list of questions, they write their answers to the questions on a piece of paper, then they crumple the paper up and put it in the middle of the floor. And somebody just randomly, so we don't know whose story they told. And they lined up equally. And then you've probably seen a video where they do a similar poverty, poverty walk. Um, and where they say, okay, if you ever didn't have lights in your home at any point in time when you grew up, take two steps backwards. If you had access to uh, transportation in your entire life, when you never had to worry about commuting to school or anything of that nature, take a step forward. If you're two parents in a home, take a step forward. If you always, you know, and so what it did was it showed the disparity in um, where some people had to begin from, but always being expected to land in the same situation at the same time. And it's kind of like you said, you didn't know. And so it was, it's a very eye-opening exercise. We love it. It's fun to do. But the feedback that we got after from those kids, it's it's always amazing. You know, I just never really thought about the fact that maybe I didn't have we always had clean clothes. Mm-hmm. We always had food to eat. We never went to bed hungry. We never, and so it never really dawned on, never really dawned yeah. on a lot of people that some of those basic things are are missing privileges. Yeah, it's definitely privileges. And you know, I'm a big psychology nerd, so you know, I, one thing that I talk about is you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and like the basic needs are like food and shelter, safety and security. And then up, you know, at the top is like, you know, enlightenment and like all these like kind of esoterical things. But like, you're not going to even think about some of those things more higher up. Right. If you're, if you're focused on just getting to your next meal and, you know, 
making sure your lights don't get shut off. And so you're just staying there at the bottom because you're just focusing on survival. Absolutely. And that was the point that I made where it was in some, sometimes in our communities, the topic of credit never came up mm-hmm. because we were in survival. It's like credit, like we're just trying to make rent and make sure to keep the lights on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, in the time we're in now, trying to find as many resources as we can to just kind of help families take that, um, turn that into something else. Yeah. To turn it into something else. To, to get to the place where you can understand that um, there are options out here. You know, there are, there is, there are resources. Um, and that's part of what keeps a lot of, uh, a lot of the demographic trapped too is because it's a lack of awareness of the resources. Yeah. Like, it's not the best that that down payment. It's exactly. there. And they just, they don't realize that there's down payments. Oh, my gosh, I don't have 20%. Right now I'm going to have to right. pay a PMI for the rest exactly. of this. I won't forget about it. I'm just not going to do it. You know, also, I'm just not going to look at it. But they don't realize, like, there's, you just need this one website. Yeah. This one website gives you all this information. But if you don't know anybody who knows that, or you didn't know anyone who could tell you, okay, you need your credit score. And then you're like, well, I don't know. And so you just don't want to talk about it. Yep. Then you're never going to know when someone says, well, look, there's this website that you go to where this is the telephone number that you need to call. Um, and so I think that that's been eye-opening. It's like whenever I was a single mom, when I was starting college 10 years ago, I was like, how am I going to pay for this? Because, yes, I can get Pell Grants, but that's only going to cover so much for the institution that I went to. And so like, college is not cheap. And so I was like, well, I can't afford to have all these loans. But that was really like my only option. So I wish someone would have came in and told me, like, you're gonna have to pay those loans back one day. So don't keep thinking that that six <laughs> grand is gonna be made. Yeah, I do think that like, especially oh, like yeah. 18, 19 year olds think like, well, I'll just get a really good job one day and I'm gonna be able to pay it off and it's gonna be like no big deal. Or they just sit here and think like that's so far in the future that it's I mean it almost to some people is free money going like they just think that I can just take all of it. Oh, you're giving me six grand? Yeah. I'm gonna take it every semester. And so You've got 12 grand worth of, of loans that you take out. And then what if you do that for four years or five years or however long that you're in school? And it's not the same way, like you said, with, you know, mortgages and stuff. Like, okay, well, you've been approved for, you know, 350000 But if you took out that 350000 that's like, what that's 40 or 50% of your budget that you bring in for the, you know, your revenue that you bring in every month. And what if something happens and you lose your job and you don't have, like, saved and saved up? And so I think that there's a lot that people don't realize that a wish was taught whenever we were younger. Or now that I'm getting, you know, I'm starting to understand these things, I hope that I make the the good decision of, like, teaching my children this. Like, you know, like, okay, they'll be like, just use your credit card. And I'm like, no, we can't use the credit card. Like, I'm trying to get my number to be at a certain thing, and I can't use it over. Or I'm going to, you know, mess my sport, and I'm trying to get us a house. And so it's, like, kind of teaching my kids, like, just because we have it, doesn't mean right. It's not free money. It's well, like people will rack up twenty thousand, and I'm sitting here like twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt. And people have far more than that because they may have five cards that have twenty thousand dollars limits on it. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do you have a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt? You know, like. But I guess it's easy. It's just to swap it. You know, and we'll pay kids are done. And kids are interested in tuition because one of the I remember just I'm just really glad it was God gave me a simple principle to teach my kids like when they got older and they would always come and ask can they have something and it was this it was the how do I say it it was just an exchange of I rearranged some words in the sentence mm-hmm. that I think made a difference and I, at some point I started to tell them you can no longer come to me and ask me can you have something you can ask me how you can earn it 
And so for me, that was one of the one of the things that I think that stood out the most when it comes to helping kids understand better. Because now they know that everything, well, that means that everything we have, we didn't just get it. Somebody had to do something for this. Yeah. So just that change in language for me, even just even if it just made me feel better as a parent, by saying, nope, y'all don't get to ask me, can you have something anymore? Now you can come and ask me how you can earn it. Because that's really how life works. We gotta earn, you know, what we get. So um that's the big thing for Bo. You know my little boy. And he he's been, oh God, I wanna buy this and I wanna buy that. And so I was like, okay, well let's you're old enough, you're almost nine, let's learn how to mow the lawn. And so he mows his section of the lawn and his big brother mows the other section of the lawn. They get ten dollars a piece every Sunday. And so he has this bike. I don't know if y'all seen it. I posted it before. He's like decked out with these lights, and he rides his bicycle when he's coming home at nighttime. Like his little bicycle will light up because he's like, I want something where people can see me, so nobody runs me over, and I want this to be a cool bike. And so he saved up his money for four weeks, and because he, he was trying to spend it, and I was like, Well, you're never going to buy anything cool if you're just spending all these little things. He's like, Let me go get some candy and some Reese's. Right. And I want some gum. <laughs> exactly. and I want some ice cream. And so I told him, If you want, yes, yeah, so if you want that big thing, you're going to have to save up for it. And how much is it? And so we would price things, and I'd say, All right, well, you got to remember, like kids don't even realize that they're sales tax. Like mm-hmm. he just thinks, Well, Absolutely. it's ten dollars, and it's ten dollars. I'm like, No, you put sales tax on that. And he's like, What do you mean? I have to pay sales tax on that. And so, like, that's been something that, you know, my, I don't think that other kids his age realize because he'll be with his friends getting ice cream in the neighborhood and the ice cream truck will come through. And they'll have, like, $3 and they'll get something that's, like, two ninety nine, And then they'll be like, well, it's, you know, $3 and they'll get 40 cents. And they're like, well, I don't have nothing. He's like, oh, they have sales tax on that. You didn't know that? <laughs> I'll let you have my dollar. And you can have that dollar so you can get your ice cream. But if I were to talk on that, but just because you add that up and it comes to $18 does not mean that that's all, all you have. <laughs> you have to have more because you have these taxes that you have to cover. And so that's been something for me. But he saved up and it'd be hard. He'd be like, man, I really want to go get some Reese's Cups. I don't know. I really, but he loves talking. He's like, can we go to the store? I want to go get some Pokemon cards or something. I'd say, well, you're not going to be able to get that thing, you know, to, to take your bike out. And so he, he buckled down. And we were able to go and take him to Academy to go get everything. He had enough money. He got himself a horn. And he got himself nice. his two little bike lights that went on there. And then he had this one light that he wanted that was a little bit more. So he was like, well, how much is that? And so we looked and he said, well, I'm going to have to save up for two weeks then to be able to come back and get this. So when he finally got everything for his bike, he was like, will you take a picture of me and show all my family and friends this bike that I got. So we posted it on Facebook about how he had saved up for six weeks total to be able to get this bike and mm-hmm. to, to deck it out. And he was so proud of himself that everybody was like, oh, this bike is so cool. Where'd you get that at? And he was like, I did that. That's mine. And so when he wants something, we'll be like, well, I already checked it out. And it's, you know, $12 or something. So I'm gonna, you know, I've already got some money saved. So I'm going to have to do one more week of earning so that I can get it. But it's not that, like, you know, he has his own money. So I'm, yep. sometimes I'm like, can he buy me? <laughs> so, but I mean, if you wouldn't have taught your child that, if you just, there's nothing wrong with your kids getting, being given things. We had Jessica Heffley on here, um, who's a multi-million dollar earner with Plexus. Um, she also has a podcast called You're Worth It. And, you know, that was one thing that she discussed is that her family didn't have a lot of money growing up. 
And so if you were one of those people who had money, then it was like you were bad or something or you were spoiled. Like if you didn't work hard, you know, like get dirty and work hard on your money, then you didn't earn your money. It was just given to you. And so whenever she started earning this money, it kind of made her feel like that she deserved this, even though she did deserve it. And so I think that she said that she maybe had a conversation with like her um, like life coach who was helping her and was kind of like, you know, I don't want my kids to be spoiled if we are like able to buy them a car. And um, he was, she said that like now that they come in, they say, you know, I'm going to go buy this bicycle at Walmart. And she'll be like, well, that's cool. Like we can do that. She, and they have the money to just be able to buy that bicycle for those kids. But she'll be like, well, what are ways that we can earn that money to get that bike to where they feel like they've done something to be able to have it? Like they're going to be able to get it. But what can you do to help facilitate purchasing that thing? Well, I think that that's, it's kind of that shift in mindset of it's not just about, you know, oh, we have, it's, it's, it's the balance of not saying that, oh, I have the money, so I'm just going to give my child everything they could ever even imagine wanting, and they just, everything's just going to be handed to them, versus, you know, that we can't afford anything, nothing, you can't get anything, we're just like, all the money just has to go, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's the balance of, okay, well, you know, her looking and understanding her budget, like, we can afford, like, you know, they've got the money, they could afford to buy, but it's just that concept of, you know, let's teach our children that they, they do earn what they get, and it's... Just a simple thing that I've recently started doing with my grandkids is we never we didn't really see banks like old school piggy banks mm-hmm. coming up in my house because there was there wasn't anything what was you gonna put in it there wasn't anything you put in it we had any money and so I recently went out to like a, one of the dollar stores and I got all of them like their own little bank and it's clear you can see mm-hmm. through it and put their names on it and so to me that alone is a visual lesson of the of of saving yeah yeah you know and so now when they the youngest two don't know anything about really about spending because they want you to buy everything for them anyway mm-hmm. so every penny they get they want to put it in their bank because yeah. you know i just want to have a lot of it. right yeah. but the older ones they kind of struggle a little bit about well i don't know if i want to put all this in my bank because i need something in my hand because mm-hmm. i want cockies or you know yeah. what I mean? so they're going through that struggle of what do I say? Because once I put it in this bank, I can't get it out. Yes. Versus, and so I've watched them kind of, without saying anything, watch them kind of have those kinds of, um, like, kind of dialogues within themselves about, okay, so what actually goes in the bank and what doesn't? Yeah. Am I, the one of the middle ones, he's all about, well, I don't want to put anything in the bank. I want to spend everything mm-hmm. that I get. You know what I mean? So learning their personality differences, even by just having this visual of these banks laying yeah. around. I think with my daughter, she's seven. And, you know, we're at that stage where she's just understanding that she has the power to spend money. And so I think we're going to have, we're getting to the point where we're going to have to start talking about when she gets money, differentiating between the stuff she puts in her piggy bank and the stuff that she keeps out. Mm-hmm. Because what's happened is, you know, for a year, she's never really been one that asked for much anyway. She's just recently understanding that she's got all this money in her bank. And she's got <laughs> purchasing power. And so she's just in the past maybe six months or so, six months to a year, will ask to go get money out of her piggy bank and to go buy something that she wants. Because I basically said, I'm not going to buy this for you. You know, you can just use your money. And so, but the so far, she's kind of had this like glut of money because she hasn't spent it in years. And she's got grandparents, you know, throwing 20s at her every birthday and holiday. 
And so she um, she's getting to the point where she's like over the time has started spinning down some of it. So now we're at the point where we've got to talk about, especially with the holidays coming up and her birthday, which is right around Christmas, that I think we're going to really start talking about saving and spending and giving. And, you know, when we get money, like let's, you know, decide what, what we're going to do with it. Are we going to put it in a wallet that we can spend it when we need, you know, want a treat or something? Or are we going to put, you know, how much are we going to set aside to save? And so, you know, we just, we tried to do that when she was younger. We had like the spin, save, share jars, and they just, it just, she was too young. She's mm-hmm. now at the age where she can, need to do, where she can do that, and we definitely need to start doing that. We sat down recently, and um, I, we had the discussion of they're, we're going to do a business model with the older, we call them the bigs and the littles. We're going to do a business model with the bigs, and they have to come up with what this model is. So I'm going to give them a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. and they, on an individual basis, and they have to decide before they spend one penny, how can they reproduce the money? So, and, and they legit have to reproduce the money before they can actually spend any part of what they have. So it's about, let's make something before you spend it, because yeah. part of what keeps us in poverty, even is when you get the resources, is if you begin to spend more than you make. And so you have to, like you said, if you have a goal to fix your bike, but this is this is the only $40 that you're going to have, how can you make this $40 turn into the money that you're going to use to fix your bike and still be $40? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those are the kind of, and so I, I watched them kind of like brainstorm with ideas, and then they, they even came up with a, why don't we do a collaboration kind of thing? You know, let's do, you know, so those are some other things that I just, because I, I really just believe, I, I mean, I, I feel like for me, I've, I've done what I needed to do for my own personal life. There's not a lot of things that I get up every morning wishing that I had anymore, things of that nature. But um, so I, I really feel like part of my purpose really is to share information and especially with my grandkids to kind of help them. And so those kinds of things are just, like I said, simple ideas of getting them up there. How do you think you can turn that money into something else and have some change left over? And the, like you said, the spin safe share, mm-hmm. you know, um, what do you, what do you, how are you going to help somebody else with this, yeah. you know, or is it going to be, because that's another problem with our country too, it's just that we have the haves and the have-nots, yeah. you know, there's so much, so my money, yeah. and, uh, or if you do have a little bit of money, you're like, well, I only have just this much money and I cannot give. And then, but you expect the people who have a lot of money <laughs> that they have so much money, they can just give it, but yeah. people don't realize that even now. Like, there have been times where I've had no money. Like, I'm too broke, broke. Me too, broke. But I will still take my last dollars and I'll give it to somebody because I just feel like I have been there. Like, I have literally had people give me money when I did not have anything. And so I feel like that just kind of comes back to you. But it also is a lesson of like, so there's somebody else who's in a way worse position. You might think that you're in a bad position and you don't even realize the person sitting next to you is in a worse position than you could possibly imagine that your life is like, People, I always have, you know, I have a problem with like comparing myself and being overly critical of myself. And so I'll look at someone and I'll say, you know, like, man, I wish that I had their life. Mm-hmm. But I don't realize that some of those people look at me and say, man, I wish that I had yeah. their life. Mm-hmm. And I look at them and just think that these things, these aspects of my life that I want, they have. But it may be like security, like having, you know, a good family structure, yes. or having, you know, um, like my own job or whatever, like that there may be things that they see in me that I would have never thought were worth seeing anything in that those people say, like, man, I wish that I had that. So I think that's something that I try to teach my boys. And I'm not the best because my parents, we we grew up, well, part of my life I grew up with 
with money and part of it I didn't until my mother got remarried um, to my dad. And so when it was just us girls, I have two other sisters. And so when it was just me and my sisters and my mom, we didn't have money. Like there would be time, we call it hot dog stir fry, where all we would have is like rice and soy sauce and hot dogs. We may have like some hamburger patties in the freezer, but like we didn't really have anything. And so we ate, we would fry up hot dogs and we make rice because that's like Cheap hot dogs are yeah, cheap hot dogs for a dollar. Yeah, box of rice for a dollar and soy sauce for a buck. And I mean, you could feed yourself for like you know a couple of days on that. And so, still to this day, I haven't made it in a very long time. But when I had a, a family friend who posted it because that's what they made too, like when they didn't have any money and they posted it recently, and I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't had this hot dog stir fry in so long. It sounds so good, but it's like you know, there's been times where I didn't really have anything and now now I do so like I've seen both sides of the coin I had it to where we always had hand-me-downs and I was like why do I always have to wear somebody else's shoes why can't I just have new shoes why do we have to go to the garage sale and go get these coats like why do I have to wear this ugly coat that some other kid has worn why can't I just have new shoes and new clothes like you know Annie over here and then my mother got remarried and then I was able to have all of that and so I've seen both sides of that of not having anything and then having something. And I'm trying to like balance that with my kids where like we may be able to have the ability to have things, but it doesn't always mean that we need those things. But also I came from a family who later on in my life when I was 10 up had money, but I was never really taught about that. Like, no, my parents didn't set me down when I was going to get student loans. I also didn't like seek their advice either. Right. was my problem. <laughs> You know, had I done that, my parents probably would have, like, urged me not to go and get those student loans. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe you can do some sort of, like, work study where you can work to get through. And I didn't even know that those things existed. Like, no one sat there and said that there was, like, a work study. It was kind of just like, hey, here's this loan. Do you want it? And I'm like, sure, I'll take it. And so people don't realize that. And I think that that's one thing that I'm hoping with my kids is that I have this knowledge, but I'm never going to teach them if I don't share it with them. Like, I can't. I have to tell them that there's all these things. Like I have to tell them, hey, you have a credit score if you ever want to buy a house. And if you jack it up, you're, you know, it's going to be hard for you to do that. Or, hey, don't take out those loans just because you think it's free money. Like, it's not free money. You're going to be struggling. struggling. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be struggling with $800 payments a month for the next 10, 15, 20 years to pay it back if you're not careful. I also had uh, experience with, you know, having very, very little to nothing. But the, what I love about that for me now is, and I, I I pray regularly and say, God, don't let me lose those skills because like I'm 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 a fierce. My daughter will tell you that I'm looking for a coupon. I don't care where we go, and I I I I, I hope I maintain the mindset of I don't care how much you know resources we'll have access to that I will always shop on the clearance rack. I pray that that is yes. my mentality. I was telling somebody, um, like I don't always necessarily shop on the clearance rack. But I never pay full price. Yeah. Most of the time oh, I didn't like clear it. interact. But sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, I need, like, an, I need, I look good. Yeah. And then so I'll, like, I'll be a little bit willing to spend a little bit more money, but I don't pay full price ever. Like, and I'm that was just my thing. No matter how much we get, that we grow it. Yeah. Because I think that's a part of handing down wealth generationally, too. Because if you get a lot, but you just start to overspend, you spend yeah. like, that's less that you're going to be able to. And parts of your families, you know. Absolutely. I want to stay a clearance girl. I want to stay a coupon girl and pulling up my apps and 
um, in, in the restaurant looking for deals. And I just, I pray that I, I don't care how many resources I get. I don't, yeah, I, I don't that think cool, that, yeah. Some, some people are like, I'm not using coupons. I'm yeah. Sure. Think I don't have exactly. Some of my friends who are multimillionaires, they use coupons more than I ever thought of mm-hmm. using coupons. Like, I just saved $60 at the grocery store. And I'm like, well, how do you do that? What deals are they? And she's like, not deals, coupons that I've been saving for like the last two weeks. And so and I think that sometimes people, when people, when one of my friends said, some of the wealthiest people that I know, they they are so meticulous about how they spend their money. Like they do not go and buy things, most of them full price. If they can get an outfit for $30 on clearance or whatever, or wait for a sale, then they will do it as opposed to spending hundreds. But there are people who have no money and they will just throw their money away. Like, well... I only have, you know, a hundred bucks and that bill's one twenty five. So I'm just gonna spend this money because I don't have it anyways. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that like making the the topic of money cool. Mm-hmm. I wish that, that could be like a hashtag. I don't know what some fancy little phrase is, but like making that money conversation cool, but then also like just because you go and shop the clearance rack or just because you're using a coupon, it does not mean that you're like poor or maybe you are poor using it, that's fine, but like there's nothing wrong with it's wisdom doing that. regardless yeah. whether you're poor or not, it's wisdom because yeah. it's free money. It's a, a coupon says two dollars. If I walked up to you and handed you two dollars, you're not gonna throw it in the trash. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're gonna put it in your purse and you're gonna use it. And it's the same thing with with coupons, you know. Um, I remember sharing one with um because and sometimes I can talk about it's upbringing and exposure and mindsets that we're dealing with, because I remember growing up. When I would go to the to the store to buy something that I probably didn't have enough money to buy anyway, and I'd walk into like your JCPenney's or your TJ Maxx or something, and I'm buying something, and they go, well, "Do you want to save fifteen dollars today on your purchase?" Because they used to give you a flat amount yeah. by applying for a credit card, and I'm knowing in my head that I can't, I'm not gonna get approved. But at the time, you didn't have to get approved; you just had to apply, uh-huh. and they would give you the and not realizing the domino effect that every time I did that, my credit scores dropping. Uh-huh. And so they were hard inquiries. They were hard inquiries then. I, you know, I don't know how it, how it works now. But me not realizing the domino effect of yeah. I'm thinking I'm saving eight dollars at that register, where now my score is constantly dropping every time I do that. So when I don't have to go buy a car that I know that I need, I'm gonna pay a thirty percent interest rate because I saved eight dollars at JCPenney's and not being able to connect the dots on mm-hmm. that. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that it has just a lot to do, again, with information and and being able to share with people. Don't let people run your credit at the store because you want 10% off. It's not going to be worth it later on. Sometimes I went to TJ Maxx and just bought a candle. And I was waiting because I guess the the price tag was on the bottom of it so they couldn't scan the code. So I was waiting for them to go find another candle. And they were like, well, let's have a sales meeting real fast. So all the, the cashiers meet together and have this. And I'm hearing it. We really need to push this, you know, dollar fundraiser thing that we're doing you really need to ask it and you know don't just take no you know ask them a couple of times and then we're really 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 low this is the conversation i hear we're really low on getting credit cards approvals like we have got to step it up our store is really lacking like we're one of the lowest in our district or whatever and i was like what this is a real thing like they got these quotas to me and so sure enough she comes back over there and she scans my candle and she says would you like to purchase a TJ Maxx credit card, and you'll say, you know, such and such percent. And I said, no, she's like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you don't want it? I'm just yeah. thinking, like, no, like, this is this is where people get you. But I've also done classes with you where I was 
I was like that when I was 18 and 19 years old. I'd be in Maurice's and I'd have like $300 worth of clothes and I'd be like, well, you can save 25% right. exactly. if you yeah. apply for this card right now. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'll do it. Yep. And then I don't realize that I've had like 11 card inquiries. Some of them yep. are soft where they don't attach themselves to your credit report, but most of them are. And they'll yep. tell you, no, it won't. Yes, yep. it will. A lot of them do. Now and so you've points. got like 12 things on there that take like, what, two or three two years, years to drop off from the time that they did it. And so, and it drops your credit score five or six, seven points sometimes. Yeah. And then you go in, like you said, to go get a car or something and your interest rate is ridiculous. Or one thing that I didn't know, which I'm thankful that I learned that from you, is if you're looking to buy a home, do not go and purchase a vehicle. Right. If you can hold oh, off. Oh, please don't. If yeah, you're if listening, you can hold off, <laughs> do not. You know, until after you purchase yeah. your house or at least like get on a cash car or something. Like, yep. don't go sit here and get this car before you do that. Like, I didn't realize that debt to income ratio sort of thing yes. and what that looks like. And, you know, like credit card or um, student loans, that was one thing I didn't know. Like, holy crap, I've got this much in student loans. How do they? Count that as a percentage of income here, one percent, and so you know that if you have. And one of the loans now has moved. It has I think it's FHA. I'm not sure which one. So don't call me. But one of them is. Oh, they dropped it to uh, a half of a percent now, um, which is a little bit better. But if you're calculating, if you're going, if you're listening out here, and you're going to buy a, a house, do your best because we have a lot of families that are credit ready and they're income ready. But what happens is, right, when the credit gets ready, they go out and they purchase this new vehicle. Now, they don't want to buy a house because it looks like on paper they can't afford the house that they want. Yeah. Whereas if you do it in the reverse order, just wait until you close. The day you close, you, if you can afford it, go and buy yourself a car. But if you're looking to buy a home in the next 12, 24 months, don't buy a new car if you don't absolutely have to. So For sure. I know that when I bought my house in 2017, I found one lender who would calculate my payment based on the actual student loan payment I was making versus just the percentage of the total. Mm-hmm. And so that's the lender I went with because I've got a lot of student loans because I never had, at 17 years old, going off to college, I was just signing my life away for loans. It's like, oh, I need a new laptop and you're going to give me 6000 Sure, and there's going to be 2500 left over after I pay for my tuition mm-hmm. and my books. So I'm going to go buy some sweatshirts yep. and... I'm going to get that laptop and some notebooks, and I'm going to, you know, go out. And blow the rest. Start and blow the rest. <laughs> Starbucks and food and everything else. And then I don't realize that, like, why well, I just racked up $12,000 of student loans, like, I have to pay that. And I did it for four years. Yep. And I was like, holy crap, I have to pay that back now. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's millions of stories. Exactly. I, and I just, I don't know. I've got a lot of, I've got, you know, because we're that generation that got hit with student loans. I, you know, I might get some flack for saying this. I feel like the student loan process was predatory. Is predatory. I mean, I don't know if it's changed at all. It's been a while since I've been in school. Um, and I made a lot of poor decisions, but, you know, think about all the other poor decisions that I made when I was 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and how many of them are following me around to this day. Not a lot. Yeah. You know, not a lot. Yeah. You, know, I was, you know, I graduated with my undergraduate degree 11 years ago. And so it's, and it's, you know, I've still got that stuff following me around and it, it will be for a while yet. It's, it's, you know, not there. So I think that, I think that's a very important educational tool for kids coming out of high school now, because there's a lot of options for getting through college that don't involve that 
And people tell you don't go into debt, but it's almost like the same messages that you hear your parents say over and over again without any real explanation mm-hmm. as to how why, what it looks like, what exactly. Make sure that you look like the right friends. You know, what is the right friends? Right, exactly. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm so sure I interviewed them before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just kind of had this mindset, kind of like, and this is just kind of the vibe I was getting, you know, from around me was that oh, you'll have enough money, you'll be, you'll graduate and be able to get a good job. And you'll be able to pay. It's not going to be an issue. I was like, okay. And people don't realize that, like, some of your degrees aren't going to give you a good paying job. Like, you have a, a job description, and here are these job requirements, and you have to have this particular bachelor's degree. If you don't have it, don't even come and apply here. But yet, you have the skill sets for it. But just your degree title tells you you don't qualify for this job, even though you know you qualify for it. But I have a creative writing and not a journalism. Well, in a lot of jobs, in a lot of jobs and industries now, a bachelor's degree is the new high school diploma. Almost like there's so many industries, like it's a barrier to entry. You've got to have a bachelor's degree to get in. And so, you know, if you know if it's if there's a lot of industries where the barrier to entry is just a high school diploma, that's much more doable because. Pretty much anybody can get a diploma without going into debt. Right. I mean, that's just, it's just, there's public education. Demographic, demographic of people that are going yes. to be completely eliminated because of that second barrier that you just yes. talked about. Yeah. Because they, of the mindset and the lack of information concerning the fact that you can go to college. Yeah. They, they're just going to see what they see. Nobody around me has ever done this before, so it just must not. And nobody's having conversations about this, so it just must mm-hmm. not be possible. And then, uh, uh, kind of along that same line, this is something that's kind of, you know, important to us. You know, Ty is very open with the fact that he went to prison, mm-hmm. and he get when he so he's very open with he's very involved in activism for people who have records. Yes, you know, on their history because then it's another barrier to get a job. You can't get financial aid. You can't get financial aid. You it's much more difficult to get a job, yep. and that's part of why he went into owning his own business. Yeah. He's like, it's gonna be hard to get hired, so I'm just gonna do it on my own. Something. He's gonna build something for himself, and that's that takes a special confidence, though. Yes. When you, you know, and it, it's it's that takes a special confidence really to realize is. that despite what everybody else says, you need to be successful. That you can to believe that you can still be successful if you don't have any of the things, or you have all these things against you that people mm-hmm. have. You know that that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. And we're here. Yeah, and so I think that that's, you know, another thing that is, you know, I think that it's important to let people know the options that are available to them, mm-hmm. and maybe whether it's entrepreneurship or whether it's finding financial aid or to get a degree, you know, let's, I think that it's, it's a great to pull those resources, mm-hmm. to pull the resources, whether it's credit or college or starting a business or getting into a new career, that we pull the resources together and help people, help each other. Wouldn't it be nice to have like a kind of like what you talked about with the simulator where you could actually simulate things and say, okay, I, I did time in prison. I don't have a, and you can mm-hmm. simulate and then what, what, you, what your possibilities are just fall yeah. out of a novel. Yeah. Yeah. You know? We did, uh, I, I've got a background in community and economic development and we did do a poverty simulator and it was just like a, you know, an in-person exercise, but I think it could be even expanded upon because we kind of did uh, like a smaller version of that where, you know, everyone is kind of given, you know, a little slip of paper and it has your thing. So some of y'all are kind of coupled together. So you're a married couple 
and you have three kids or you're a single mom or and here's your life circumstances here's the money you have maybe you're on food stamps maybe and so everyone has like their finite amount of money and resources and you go through and it's kind of like the game of life you know you all of a sudden it's like oh you have a medical condition issue and you got to you know pay a 200 dollars doctor's appointment well now you're short on rent and what do you do and so you've got to go figure out the resources and it kind of goes back into that and that was very eye-opening mm-hmm. as well i think we need, need to have some type of simulation like almost like what you said your friend is doing that she's creating a, a, a page where you can find resources but almost like when you do the credit simulation, if you're able to just type in what your your situation is, and then these options are become available. Like, well, did you know you could still go to college because you can get a Pell Grant in this particular situation, or um, maybe you do have a criminal background and you can you did you know that there's you could still become an entrepreneur that yeah. you can find that way. You know what I mean? So just just something along those lines that could that people could that would give them hope. All right, so somebody this. listening needs to make this yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. That could give people hope. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes you just feel like your back's up against yep. the wall. Well, if you have a really good, I think for like business owners, like what do you do, right? If you never went to school for business. Mm-hmm. And just because you have a business degree doesn't mean that you're ever going to be good at owning a business, right? Correct. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to be good at doing that. You just learned definitions and yep. tools and terms and stuff, but it doesn't mean like putting it, it together. But then you also have people who have got this really good idea that really will turn into something good. But how do you do all, how do you get all the little nuts and bolts and the pieces put together to build this into what they're looking for? And it's hard. Like, it's easy for someone to say, just go to the Small Business Administration. Right. And then there's like 100,000 things they tell you to do and all these 50 different links that you have to go to. And you're like, well, one page says this and one page says that, and I don't know what to do. And so it would be awesome to have. You know, like a resource, and I do think that we're definitely getting that like startup junkie and the conductor is really good for like entrepreneurship, have an idea, is this going to work? Um, do y'all have something in place? Like this would be so cool. Do y'all have something in place? Like I remember when I first started and they said, okay, you need to go to the uh, the Secretary of State and you need to get your business license. Well, you know, when you go out there, you do that drop down box and you got LLC and you got like things. So, and I, the, the first two times I did it completely wrong, which it was fine. I was able to start business, but when I got ready to go file taxes, two years in a row, I filed taxes wrong because I, did, I didn't do the right um, business status that mm-hmm. I should have selected. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, wouldn't it be, do y'all have something or maybe we, something we do to help people? One of the things that we offer is one of the services we offer is we will walk you through that process and we have that's why we have a business attorney on as part of our partnership and he not only will kind of talk to you to determine like whether you need to be an LLC or whether you can operate as a sole proprietor or maybe you need to be a different kind of corporation Um, and then we'll you know get all the information get that filed for you but he also teaches you how to protect yourself by behaving like a business Mm -hmm. because even if you follow your LLC but you're still mingling your business money and your personal money that and not so taking minutes and you're not doing all these things and um, passing resolutions, even if you're the only one doing it, you know, he teaches you how to do that. And so, because we want to set your business up on that solid foundation. And so that, that is a service we offer to help you get that, identify what type of business you should be operating under, get you filed and show you how to operate as a business and look like a business. And that way, you know, A, you're on a solid foundation, and B, if someone comes up and tries to sue you for something, 
If you're commingling business and personal assets, then your personal assets can be up for grabs. But if you're operating like your business is supposed to be operating, then your your personal assets can be protected. That is good to hear. And because uh, I, I there's a lot of young people that I'm connected to now, and they're all really interested in business. And I often, I don't, I don't know that I can articulate to them how to get started without making the same mistakes that I did because everybody's business looks different. Mm-hmm. But it's great to know that there's someplace here that locally that I can refer them to and say, "Hey, go over there and talk to me." Yeah. And yeah. Uh, maybe hire him and let him see what it is that he can do. Okay. There's been times that we've had clients in here that he starts talking to them. He'll be like, well, did you do this? And they'll say, no, what is that? And we'll tell them, okay, well, did you do this? And they'll say, no. And I'm sitting right there like, I didn't do that with my business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's dissolved now. Yeah. I'm sitting all that, like, I'm I'm not with that company anymore yeah. that I created. But I'm sitting there thinking, like, I didn't do that. It was so and you're like, I didn't, what do you mean, Keith Minutes? Like, a, so like many a things board that's wrong. Profit. Like, I have to do that. I have to, like, what is the resolution? Like, I didn't even know, like, that was something that I had to do with myself. Like, I, Felicia, am going to let Felicia do this. Yeah. And so I didn't realize that, like, my bylaws were actually a big deal that I thought it was just something that I could print off of, like, legal Zoom or right. know, rocket <laughs> lawyer or something. And, oh, okay, well, that looks good. Like, yeah. looks like a decent bylaw you, uh, operating agreement. And so I'm just going to use it. And I don't realize that that, like, governs how my business is set up. And imagine if I went into business with, like, a partner Neither one of us knew what we were doing when we brought these like just ridiculous you know, bylaws or something that really don't apply to us. Or you get yourself in a situation where you don't realize what those bylaws are saying and you put yourself in a really hard position with your partner. They maybe they could take everything from you or you're, you know, like you're not operating the way that you should, not just commingling funds, but I think he calls it like a shell, like a corporate shell um, that you build around yourself. So that if you are behaving as a corporation, they can't come after you personally. Like it's, yeah. it's harder to break that corporate well, shell. Basically, it's like, is that shell fragile or is it strong? Mm-hmm. You know, if that shell is super fragile, they're just going to come over and it's crush it. And then you're they better than your But if it's strong, they're going to come over and they're just going to bounce off that shell. And you're going to be protected. Yeah. And people don't realize like business insurance and like, protecting for errors and omissions or if you are starting a nonprofit that your director should have insurance mm-hmm. over themselves for errors that may occur or things that that happen and people don't even realize that just having insurance on your business you know having like liability insurance in the event that something happens um or umbrella insurance and so that's a lot or even savings like people don't realize well i'm hiring my first couple of employees and you know how, how do I even structure a benefit plan or exactly. 401ks or how I even pay payroll taxes and stuff and, and I did all that wrong every bit of it wrong at I first. think a lot of them probably do do it wrong you know and if you didn't know someone who could point you in the right direction it's like well trial and error and I hope nothing happens if I do this wrong yeah I think a lot of businesses are not used to operating like a business and I say this from someone who and like because we now that ever since we started and came into business partnership with an attorney, we're like, oh, <laughs> and we've been doing everything wrong. Right. And so then we talk to businesses and then, you know, like, I think the one thing that I think is funny that I've noticed is, you know, before when I'm doing a sole proprietorship, my contracts are like cobbled together from LegalZoom and other freelancers and mm-hmm. just building these contracts. And then all of a sudden, now I've got a leak, an attorney to help write my business contracts for me. And then I provide some of the contract and you're like, well, this 
Like, they get intimidated by it. They're like, this looks like an attorney contract. Right. Well, it was written by an attorney. Like, this is not just... Because I think that business owners, we're all just used to cobbling it together. Yes. And all of a sudden, you get something that's actually done Legit. properly. <laughs> it freaks everybody out because yeah. they're like, what is this? Right. And so, it's that was kind of a, like, oh, like, not only am I just kind of like, oh, I've been doing everything wrong. Like, other people are kind of shocked, too, once they kind of come face-to-face with it. Because we probably the majority of us mom and pop places, you know, we've just got it off of, you know, you get on Google and you're like, I need to find just a basic yep. contract for, you know, restaurants or I need to find a basic contract for daycare owners between families and the owner. And so you just come up with one and you don't realize that there are things that you left out that leave a huge hole open for you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you can't go after them on late fees or you can't go after them anymore if they don't give you the money in the timely manner because you didn't write that into the contract or you can't change something now because they don't want to sign a new contract and they've already signed this one. And so it's nice to be able to have that, but it makes me cringe so bad when I look at some of my, my old contracts. I'm like, what was that? What does that even mean? What was yeah. that stuff even saying? Because it's nothing is like it the clause that David like wrote. It's a sentence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't even apply to me. This is for a totally different industry, but like, I didn't know. I just thought, mm, okay, that sounds, yep. Sounds like a contract, contract. so I'm going (laughs) to print this off and make you sign it and just attach my logo to it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I would have never held up in court Mm -hmm. if something were to have gone wrong with those contracts. So, I mean, it's a lot. Like, owning a business is, you have to be like everything. Yep. Janitor. Counselor. Yes. Your finances, you have to do your job, you have to be the lawyer, you have to do mediation if you've got, you know, issues and stuff that you're dealing with. So, it's a lot. Well, thank you so much for coming. We kind of hit a lot, but this was a really good dis- discussion. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate you coming out. And um, anybody who's looking to get in contact with you can find your information on our show notes. We'll link to your social media and everything. Okay, and make sure they know where to come find you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It was yeah. fun. I appreciate yes. it. Thanks. Thanks.